Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is called Harry Podcast Aboard the Hogwarts Express. Today we will be discussing our introduction to Mad-Eye Moody and to the other wizarding schools, as well as diving deeper into Ron's frustration and shame. So the night before everyone is going to go back to Hogwarts, um, Mr. Weasley is called back into the ministry. Mad-Eyed Moody, a retired Auror, has gotten into trouble with his muggle neighbors for disturbing the peace. The Weasley family starts talking about Mad-Eye Moody. Um, George thinks that he's crazy, but some, including Arthur, think more highly of him. The next morning, the whole family, minus Mr. Weasley and Percy, but plus Harry and Hermione, pile into the taxis to go to the train station. Ginny, Harry, Hermione, Ron, Fred, and George all say goodbye to Mrs. Weasley, Bill, and Charlie before getting on the Hogwarts Express. Before they get on, both Charlie and Bill hint that you're going to have an interesting year, but they refuse to explain what's coming at Hogwarts. On the train, Hermione overhears Draco Malfoy talking about Durmstrang and explains what she knows about the other two major wizarding schools in Europe, Beaubaton and Durmstrang. Draco Malfoy walks by and catches sight of Ron's dress robes in his trunk and starts making fun of him. Malfoy is also delighted to find out that Ron doesn't know what's coming to Hogwarts despite his family being members of the Ministry of Magic, and he says he knows because his father told him ages ago. At last, they arrive at Hogwarts. So first, this chapter is really interesting because it gives us a lot of information about a bunch of different topics, but not in a way that feels like an information dump. Um, So we hear a lot about Mad-Eye Moody... And what aurors are, mm-hmm. like dark wizard catchers. Um, and then we hear a lot of different opinions about Mad-Eye, which is fun because we're going to be introduced to that character later on in the book. So hearing these like different characterizations of him, we kind of get a sense of what he's like before we meet him later. So um, what are some of the things that people say about Mad-Eye? Well, I think that he's a really polarizing figure and... Um, you know, we, we don't fully meet the real Mad-Eye until much later, but right, I yeah. think that even, you know, d- even just him in his reality of who he actually is, is very polarizing because he is, I think of him as almost like a veteran or something. like Yeah, a, like a war veteran. Like a wounded war veteran has some, possibly some PTSD going on. And, you know, just from this impression that we're getting, even though we know this is not what actually happens with like the dustbins and him calling the, you know, getting mad at the muggles or whatever. It's to me, that seems more like a something triggered him and mm-hmm. he's yeah, upset and yeah. he can kind of fly off the handle. And I think the reason why, um, you know, Wormtail and Crouch end up orchestrating this is because they also know that this is not an unreasonable uh assumption to make about Mad-Eye Moody like things like this clearly happen with him nobody's that surprised about it so I think that it's it's an interesting even though we know that's not actually what happened I think that it is kind of interesting because I think that he can kind of be erratic and get triggered and mm-hmm. um you know do things that are a little bit disrupting the beast. Yeah, for sure. And I think the the different opinions people have of him are due to their experiences with mm-hmm. him. I think Arthur kind of probably knows him better as like an Auror who's really experienced and right. knows the field really well and is like the best Auror in the department probably. 
or one of them. Um, and so Arthur is always like going out of his way to try to get him out of trouble, as is the case here. Um, whereas other people like George, who might not have known Mad-Eye that well, just kind of only know what they've heard about him from other people, which mm-hmm. is usually like when he's in trouble, when he's doing something weird. So sort of like Dumbledore, people that don't know him personally yeah. might think he's a crackpot mm-hmm. or an eccentric or something. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense. So um, this scene is really interesting because of the way that it's delivered. Amos Diggory, his head travels to the Weasley's house um, via the flu network. So his head pops into their fireplace and everyone just accepts this like it's a normal thing. But this is our first introduction to that method of communication. Yeah, and there's not much explanation about it at all. Yeah, and Harry will later allude to the fact that um, it's very helpful that he saw this happen because otherwise when Sirius does it to him yes. at the Gryffindor common room, he would have freaked out. Right, right. Um, but since he kind of knows that it's a thing, it's it's more understandable. Um, and it, it is very funny because Amos Diggory, uh, who's communicating to Arthur and Molly about the fact that Arthur needs to go and help Mad-Eye out of this crunch, um, is like, oh, yeah, I didn't eat breakfast. And Molly's like, how about some toast? And she like hands it to him <laughs> yeah. with, with tongs into the fire. <laughs> Um, Such a good image. A very funny image. Um, but what what actually is going on at Moody's house? What actually happened last night that this is transpiring? So from what I remember, so Wormtail and Barty Crouch Jr. Um, go to abduct him and like you know drug him basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the start of it. So they go um, Crouch then. Uh, animates the dustbin so that there's something to report to the Ministry Wizards upon their arrival. So yeah. there's some sort of weird disturbance that they can talk about. But really, it's uh, Moody's being abducted and trying to fight them. Right. So, like, what Amos reports to Arthur is that, um, like, Moody heard a noise and then something in his yard, like a prowler, he says, like, triggered his dustbins to go off, mm-hmm. which apparently was some sort of alarm system that Moody right. had set up, which now we know is bogus. But um, but that was the the story, was that like there was a prowler, the dustbins went off, and then the that attracted a whole bunch of hubbub. Yeah. Um, what we know now is that Barty Crouch Jr. made that dustbins go off so that the ministry would have something to talk about, yeah. basically, something to report. And they're just blaming, you know, this the situation is just like, oh, Moody's crazy. And, I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting because... Arthur, you know, nobody kind of has any reason, at least to out loud, suspect that something else was going on. Yeah. And, I mean, we kind of know why. They did a very good job. They have this very extensive plan that, you know, works, ends up mm-hmm. working. But I think it is it is pretty interesting that everyone just kind of assumes that, yes, he was just kind of crazy and did this. And um, I think that that, you know, can happen also in, in life and a lot of different reasons of, like, Sort of thinking like, oh, well, nothing bad could have happened to this person because if something bad happened, it's probably that they're causing it um, or that they just got themselves into that situation instead of actually, you know, they're being, they're not themselves. So another thing that we learn about in this chapter is the existence of other wizarding schools, which um, I think is, it's a good follow up to the World Cup chapter because we have just kind of expanded our worldview to see look at all these wizards and witches from all over the world Mm -hmm. so we had this idea that like you know probably hogwarts is not the only school but we haven't gotten any we haven't ever heard anyone talk about it um until now yeah this was very much like a broadening of the world 
mm-hmm. book, I think. And, and that's why a lot of people are drawn to it. I, for me, definitely one of my favorite books because it expands the universe of Harry Potter far beyond what it was confined to in the first three books. Right. And so there's so much to explore once you include the fact that, yeah, there are other wizarding communities around the world. There are other schools. There's other, like, whole cultures that have developed in these sort of enclaves of wizards. Um, and that plus the, like, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them book um, by Newt Scamander talking mm-hmm. about, like, different magical beasts and where they live. I, as a kid, I was so enthralled by the idea that, like, there were all these different wizarding communities and that really Harry Potter focuses just on Britain, but that there are right. all these other stories that are happening in all these other places. It was really... It was a great kind of opening up of that idea. Um, and so I think that this chapter is one of the times when that sort of seed gets planted a little bit more because Hermione starts talking about these other wizarding schools. Um, and actually, I, I think the names of the schools themselves are, are kind of interesting. The um, Durmstrang comes from um, a rowlingization, we can say, of um, the phrase Sturm und Drang, which was a German um, anti-enlightenment philosophical movement in the late 19th century that was all about um, incorporating kind of like Christian theology into philosophy and Mm. and as a reaction to more like Kantian logic-based philosophy. Um, And uh, it was, I think, I think the allusion to it in the name Durmstrang is supposed to reflect sort of a Germanic, um, like, Northern European heritage. I don't think it's supposed to be, like, philosophically aligned to that philosophy, for lack of a better term, Um, because we don't think of Durmstrang as a school as being overtly theological. No, but we do think of them as being um, strict and uh, kind of scary and kind of vaguely... uh, not nice and i mean i think the whole idea of just like in general kind of it's a it's a very german sounding name it's a very like Mm -hmm. harsh sounding name and i think we're sort of you know i don't think it's supposed to necessarily be like this this is nazi school but i do think that (laughs) once we meet karkarov and once we learn a little bit more about um him specifically we start to see like what is you know kind of what's going on here but we do obviously we have some good characters like crumb from there but it's um yeah definitely a negative connotation i think so and i think in the broader scheme of things in this series i think there is kind of an othering of germans and german traditions in the harry potter saga in the sense that they are conflated with um puritan or purist ideology Mm -hmm. so the idea probably behind Durmstrang being named that is not necessarily that Sturm und Drang was like a you know a Nazi ideology because it wasn't but just the idea that it is German and that therefore is bad like conflating like Germans with Nazis and then saying Nazi like wizards are bad um it's it's kind of weird, but it's basically saying like 19th century Germans equal, you know, mid 20th century Germans equal Nazis. Yeah. Um, so it's a little odd. But yeah, that's that's where Durmstrang comes from, Sturm und Drang. And then the other one, Beaubaton, is clearly French. So we imagine it's, it's going to be somewhere in France or maybe Belgium. Um, and, and that... Uh, means i think like beautiful sticks or like in this case wands yeah so um that conjures an idea of sort of more high class um potentially more like beauty oriented more Mm -hmm. feminine maybe yeah Um, and we'll talk more next chapter about um 
or in a couple chapters about when the students arrive. Yeah. Um, but we have to remember just to, just in case anyone else forgot, cause I forgot, uh, <laughs> they're not a boys school and a girls school, which they are in the movies. Right. So it's a little confusing, but in the books and in reality, they are both co-ed schools, but it's, it is interesting because they are described and even the names and what we're thinking of are very sort of masculine, feminine, like, yeah, only in the sense that we can think of the German words as sort of masculine sounding, yeah, right, harsh right. sounding, and Beaubaton French, you know, uh, can be thought of as more feminine. But I think that that's sort of a um, an American stereotype. And I think that the fact that the movie was made in Hollywood is essentially why they decided to just make yeah. the schools either all girl, all boy. Um, right. And it doesn't make any sense in the actual context of the book, but... And also just to mention that the fact, another thing that we, the first uh, place we hear about Darmstrang is from Draco. And so that is not, yeah. um, that Talking also. his parents were thinking about sending him to that school. Right. So this, that, in our, in, my, in my mind, I remember as a first reader, and I think in general, this adds to the idea of like, Durmstrang bad and I almost felt like Durmstrang was like extension of Slytherin or like mm-hmm. everybody at Durmstrang is a Slytherin kind of yeah. vibe. It's supposed to it's supposed to be that way and I think the intention is to kind of say Durmstrang is a more blood purity focused school mm-hmm. in the sense that Slytherin House is blood purity focused but it's only one quarter of Hogwarts. Right, right. Um, Durmstrang is like a whole school of Slytherins essentially and maybe not everybody has the um, mindset of a Slytherin, like me first, ambitious, mm-hmm. clever, and that conniving sense. But like, um, it's just it's understood that Slyther- that Durmstrang rather doesn't accept um, Muggle-born students. Yeah, yeah. So that's not even a consideration. Um, whereas at Hogwarts, like Slytherins have to interact with Muggle-borns, so that becomes a more entrenched part of their ideology. Whereas at Durmstrang, it's just understood. Right. Um, but yeah, the the idea that. Um, Hermione knows all these facts about the other wizarding schools is really helpful as a reader because it um, precludes the necessity of there being like a, an information dump mm-hmm, scene where mm-hmm. someone explains it to them or f- for them having to go to the library and look it up or something right, like that. Exactly. Instead, Hermione can just be this encyclopedic, you know, dispensary of knowledge and be like, oh, yeah, you know, I read about um, in Hogwarts of History because they had a Triwizard tournament years ago and um, blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> yeah, so she has a lot of. She, I mean, it's a good, it is a good kind of um, exposition. And I think also the way that it's planted. And then in the next chapter, Dumbledore mentions, hey, actually, remember those schools you just heard about? People are coming. And then right. the next chapter, they arrive. So the, the kind of characterization of the schools um, is comes about pretty naturally. Yeah. And it's clever from the writer because, um, of course, Malfoy is talking about Durmstrang because he knows that the Triwizards right. happening and that they're coming soon. So he's like, oh, yeah, like I know about Durmstrang mm-hmm. to like Crabbe and Goyle who might not know about it. Um, so clearly it's on his mind for a specific reason. And um, and yeah, so the conversation between Malfoy and Ron and to some extent the other people in the compartment is a really interesting one. So let's get into that. Um Already, Ron is feeling very class sensitive, right? We discussed mm-hmm. that at the end of the last chapter that Ron feels like all of his stuff is secondhand and rubbish, and he hates being poor, um, especially when he's compared to his best friend who is wealthy and uh, doesn't even have a family, but still has all this familial wealth left over. Right, right. So we're seeing kind of like he's, there's already some pressure building, and yeah. and I think we're part of the uh, focusing on Ron is to be tracking like. How does he get to his kind of big blow up, big uh, 
yeah. emotional kind of breakdown later on. And it's very understandable to me on this read-through. I forgot how many kind of triggers there were leading up to it and how many, mm-hmm. um, how much was really piling on. Yeah, and I think it's great that we're focusing on Ron in this read-through. I think this is... Even though Ron's off screen a lot, I think this is a very Ron oriented book. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that last book, even though she was off screen a lot, Hermione was kind yeah, of a central right. character for conflict. Um, and a lot of things kind of revolved around her in the, sen- in the same way that they do around Ron here, even though he's not present for a lot of the important scenes. Um, so I'm glad that we're going to be taking a, a closer look at him here. Um, so Malfoy comes yeah. in, in in this scene and. Like we're saying, he's already feeling sensitive about class. Malfoy immediately hones in on the dress robes. Like, he's like, hey, I'm, like, looking for something to make fun of. It's easy to make fun of them. And, you know, something I also noticed in the scene of, I think you're right that, like, kind of last book was, like, Hermione's sort of development. And now it's Ron's development. Because I think that both Harry and Hermione don't seem to let Malfoy affect them as much anymore. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, we have last book with the hitting Malfoy situation. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for so Hermione kind of stands up for herself. Harry sort of is always in conflict, but has kind of distanced himself a little more from the bullying. And I think, and I think Ron is of, not. I think one of the ways Harry gets distance is from things like Quidditch. Yeah. Where he's like, I've beaten Malfoy at Quidditch. Therefore, right. like, Malfoy can pretend to be better than me all he wants, but I know. I know. Like, my yeah. ego is stronger than his. Yeah. I'm better than he is. Right. Even if he doesn't say that part out loud, that's what he definitely is thinking. Right. Whereas Ron has not ever had that chance to, like, prove his worth in front of Malfoy or in a direct comparison to Malfoy. Um, and so he yeah. feels more susceptible to the bullying, I think, in that regard. And to, and to be, you know, fair, too, like, Harry and Hermione you know, entered the scene a couple years ago to meet the Malfoys. Whereas the Ron and the Weasley family and the Malfoy family have always had this, you know, it's like the parents don't like each other. It's all, it's been kind of like his whole life. The Malfoys have been, um, the, the, yeah, the threat over him. So, so Ron is like not happy with this, of course. And another kind of addition to the pile on that I feel like has happened even in the past couple days for Ron is that, now Malfoy is saying, "Oh, you don't know the secret. Oh, your your dad works in the ministry, but you don't even know what's happening." Yeah. And he has just gotten that from literally everybody in his family too. Besides, <laughs> yeah, everyone in his family. It seems like all of the older kids, at least, and yeah. his parents, they all are like, "Wait, we're not going to tell you, but something exciting's going to happen." Right. And clearly, clearly, Arthur and Percy found out about what's happening. Yes. Percy works in the Department of International Cooperation. Arthur is friends with everybody at the ministry, including Bagman and Crouch, um, who are, like, co-leading this project. Obviously, he knows about it. Um, Bill and Charlie probably just know about it because Percy and Arthur were willing to talk about it with anybody who wasn't going to be at Hogwarts. They didn't want to spoil the surprise. That was really what it was all about. They wanted them to be surprised by the announcement. Um, And Malfoy uh, basically just baits Ron with this. He's, He's saying, like... You know, your father is too junior to know about mm-hmm. this project. Um, that's obviously untrue to an informed reader, but right. Ron, regardless, rises to the bait. Yeah. And so it's just, a, you know, Ron is Ron's feeling like in a position where he does not have any power. He doesn't know anything. And, you know, even even just in this very scene, like, Malfoy targets him. But also before that, like, 
you know, Hermione knows information. She knows information about the schools. It's not that he necessarily wants to know that information, but she has some power in all of her knowledge and her ability to, like, navigate this world. And Harry just has power because of who he is and also because of his class and all of this. So Ron is just, like, you know, again, feeling more and more like he's not good enough. He doesn't fit in. Yeah. Um, And it's an interesting commentary on... You know, the whole, like, central conflict of the series being about, um, for lack of a better word, like, blood purity, um, you know, Ron's status as a pureblood is incidental to mm-hmm, all of this. Mm-hmm. Like, he is still the subject of bullying, even though he's a pureblood. And so it kind of, like, it points at how ridiculous it is mm-hmm. to be obsessed with blood purity when it's not even good enough to be pureblood if you're not the right kind of pureblood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're not this, like, aristocratic, high-minded high society type if you're a lower class but you are pureblood we're still gonna bully you right you know right. um and so i think that is like a highlight for how ridiculous this ideology of malfoy's family really is um but yeah i mean it is it is the case too that in the real world you know the real world parallels of this mm-hmm. like if you were aligning yourself with the other groups you would still be the subject of ire and ridicule and and discrimination by the groups that were in power so you know, clearly it's informed by the real world, um, but it still serves to highlight the absurdity of that position. Yeah. So let's continue to each chapter. Um, if I think there's probably going to be something in each chapter that shows us um, how Ron develops this, you know, intense building pressure that kind of leads to his blow up with Harry. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast Aboard the Hogwarts Express. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially um, Ron and Malfoy's conflict, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we place our names in the goblet for Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament. I'm Madeline. And I'm David. And we'll see you next time on the Harry Podcast. Knox.